Our scripture today comes from Genesis 3, verses 14 through 24. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and between the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken." For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, And live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. I am convinced that if you are like me, you have spent a good portion of your life seeking satisfaction, seeking fulfillment, seeking sometimes in an ultimate way things that were never intended to ultimately satisfy you. Uh, That varies depending on who you are. It varies honestly depending on your bent. Uh, so, So how might that work? If you're very relational, you have sought for the ultimate satisfaction in a relationship of some kind. It may be you thought, I'll get married and she'll be it. Or he'll be it and he'll meet all my deepest needs. If you are performance driven, you've sought that uh, satisfaction in work. You've sought it in uh, career accomplishments. You have sought it in things you do that get you places. If money is important to you or possessions, perhaps you've thought, a little bit more in the bank, or if I can build this house or buy this car or wear these kinds of clothes, I'll be good. And then there are, those are all good and positive things, but then there are those things that can take a very negative turn. Uh, Addictions are evidences of our desire to seek fulfillment in things that do not fulfill. Adultery, homosexuality, evidences of our desire to seek a fulfillment in things that do not ultimately fulfill. And so this morning we come to a place where 
where that has happened. And where Adam and Eve have a garden full of good stuff. And yet there's one tree that is forbidden. And it is from that tree that they eat. That was last week's sermon. And this week's sermon is, God, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about this ultimate uh, sin that Adam and Eve have committed? And we discover uh, really three truths that roll out that are oxymorons. They're they're hard to place together that God uh, can be gracious even in curses. That... That the curse that God pronounces is gracious. There is a gracious curse which involves a gracious hostility. It involves gracious labor and it involves gracious death. And how is it that hostility could ever be gracious and that labor could ever be gracious and death could ever be gracious, but yet God pronounces it in such a way. And I'm convinced that some of you sit here this morning and and what I just said is like a look in the past and you're like, yes, I know when I was there. But for others of you, what I've just said is a glaring stop sign on the road of your life and you walked in here this morning pursuing in ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment from something or someone that will never satisfy. And so for you, it is a wake-up call. It is a wake-up call. I'm glad all of you are here. Let's look at this gracious hostility. What is a curse? A curse is a prophetic uh, indication of God's anger. And here's the key. It will happen sooner or later. We don't know when. Some of you may be engaged in sin and you're like, well, you know, nothing's happened to me yet. God's curses will happen sooner or later in his own time, in his own way. And he shows up and it's interesting to note, he curses only the serpent, never curses Adam and Eve. But he he curses things associated with Adam and Eve. So what does he say to the serpent or Satan? Cursed are you, dust you shall eat. If you fast forward into the Mosaic law, you'll discover that any animal that crawled on the ground was considered to be unclean. And so what God is saying, his punishment always fits the crime incidentally perfectly. And what he is saying to them is, uh, to Satan is, your crime was being distinct from all other animals in that you were deceptive. And, And so what... What I'll do is make you distinct in that you will crawl on your belly and therefore be unclean. I also want to say this is that in our culture today, which uh, only believes what we can see with the naked eye, we have this idea that, that perhaps Satan really isn't real. Oh, he's just a figment of your imagination. Or maybe you've seen enough uh, cartoons of, uh, uh, of, uh, of a pitchfork and, you know, red leotards and, and you're like, nah. He's just a figment of the imagination of someone. Could I, could I share with you what Jesus himself said about Satan himself in uh, the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 8, verse 44? Jesus is talking to some people. You never want this to be said of you. But he says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And then he begins to talk about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. And does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is real. 
Please hear me. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Paul says that in Ephesians 6. Our enemy, your enemy isn't somebody else in this room. It's not someone else in your life. Even though that person may be being used right now by Satan himself, uh, he or she is not your enemy. Your enemy is Satan who is behind whatever is happening in your life. Satan is real. So if Satan is real and Eve is fallen... The most gracious thing God can do at the moment is what he says next. I will put enmity or hostility. You say, what do you mean? It's the same thing a parent does when a child is young and doesn't know that a hot stove burns. What does the parent do? Teaches the kid hot. What is the parent doing teaching hostility? Hostility between what? A hot stove and a kid's hand. What God graciously does is step into the garden and he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, I will develop an enmity between you and Satan. It is a gracious hostility that's, that marks him as an enemy. It creates this, this, uh, this enemy. But then there's something in it. Uh, the serpent was instrumental in the undoing of of the woman, and in turn, the uh, God is saying the ultimate uh, the, the woman will ultimately bring down the serpent through her offspring. Uh, God is sucker punching Satan right here. Uh, it's amazing to see that unfold. I want to ask you a question: What if gracious hostility did not exist between you and Satan? All right, first of all, you wouldn't know the difference between right and wrong. It is gracious that you know right to be right and wrong to be wrong. And here that begins to develop. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil created that. And so it's it's gracious that now we know that, isn't it? And as that, we know what to avoid and we know what to do. Philip Yancey has written about his year spent on a leper colony. Leprosy by its... uh, Design of the disease uh, renders the nerve endings in the skin unable to respond to stimuli. And so that's why the skin begins to die. But there's another complication. The leper has no idea the pain that certain actions inflict on him or her. And Yancey said, I watched a leper come up to a rusty lock that clearly could not be removed from where it had been placed. And I watched that leper with his hands try to physically remove the lock. And when he tried to physically remove the lock, he couldn't do it. Only to mangle his hands. And the only way the leper knew that this wouldn't work was the blood that came from the attempt to do so. Leprosy disables those nerves from sending a message to the brain saying that hurts. What if God did not graciously introduce pain into the garden? Now, pain is a doctor's best friend. Pain lets you know there's a disease. Pain lets you know there's a problem. There's a gracious hostility then that develops between uh, us and Satan. There is a, a gracious hostility that, uh, that, that develops between us and nature. And we realize when things have gone awry. But then there's this gracious hostility that verse 15 uh, called the, the first good news I shared last week. In all of scripture you say, how can this be the first good news? I've wondered this before. Uh, theologians call this the first good news. Why is it the first good news? Because if there's no bad 
bad news, there's no need for good news. And now that there's bad news, Adam and Eve have blown it. There's got to be some good news. And here it is. I, God is talking, will put enmity, hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. All right, so let me review in case you were out last week. What God is saying is that he is going to raise up through Eve a descendant. And that descendant will come through the woman. It's a definite article. That the in woman points all the way to a woman, a young woman up in Nazareth. That God is going to show up by his angel Gabriel and say to her, Listen, you're going to have a baby boy. Though you've never ever been in sexual relations with anyone, you'll have a baby boy. Boy, the boy will be born of the Spirit, and he will be my son, and you will call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Right here in Genesis 3.15, God shows up and says, Satan, you think you foiled and you've blown my plan, but I got news for you. I got a plan, and it involves a young woman, and, and I'm going to raise her up in her seed. You, your offspring will strike him on the heel. You, you, her seed will crush your head. Cross, heel, resurrection, crushed head. God wins. Paul reflecting on this in Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, not a woman, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This gracious hostility that God develops is followed by gracious labor. So God says to Eve, he turns to her, Satan's had his word, his day's coming. It will come because Eve has what? Labor. Labor, labor is how it reads in Hebrew. I will surely multiply, literally in the Hebrew, the word uh, multiply is there twice. I will multiply, multiply your labor. All right, so men, we know nothing of this, right? Only women know of this. Only women. I remember when Trent was born, went to the hospital, and there we are. And so, so we wait, and we wait. You know, it's hurry up and wait time. That's how that can tend to go. And so we wait, and we wait. And finally, um, you know, we're there, and, and, and Wendy keeps looking at me, and she says, uh, Honey, are you okay? And so I'm like, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then a little bit, she's writhing in pain. Honey, are you okay? And so the nurse looks at her and says, why are you asking if he's okay? And, and Wendy says, oh, he passes out so easily. And the nurse just shakes her head and I feel so manly at that moment. Like, I just feel like I so have it all together, right? And the nurse just shakes her head and she says, well, there's the ammonia on the wall. It's taped to the wall. If you need it, well, sure enough, the doctor is late. The nurse says, the baby's coming. We're, we're going to do this thing. And Wendy was like, are you okay? And the nurse says, he's okay. And I'm like, you don't know me. I could write a book on all the places I've passed out in my life. No lie. The last one, I was 30,000 feet in the air on an airplane. Boom, started going. Thought, oh, Lord, don't let them think I'm having a heart attack. If they land this plane and it's my fault for passing out, how humiliating will that be? 
Years ago, I worked for Bruce Baker for about a year. I was uh, I speak Spanish, so I was called in to interpret. Uh, a guy cut his uh, thumb right here. I'm standing in the ER. No lie, I'm standing in the ER. They take that needle to put it in that fresh cut. And when they do, the doctor looks at me, and I'm just interpreting all along, telling the guy what they're going to do. And the doctor looks at me, and he says, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine. No, I wasn't. As a matter of fact, the guy was sitting out in my vehicle waiting on me while I was lying on the gurney, recovering from passing out. That's my life, right? I'm a wuss when it comes to those things. But for women, it's, uh, it's labor multiplied. But don't miss this. Whereas the man's action condemned the human family. I love this. Eve will play the critical role in liberating them from sin's consequences. So women, every time you've been in labor or if you are before your childbearing years, your labor, comma, labor is gracious. It's gracious as part of God's gracious, redemptive plan. Why is this? Have you ever thought about this? According to Genesis 3.15, if a woman doesn't have a baby, God's plan doesn't work. Period. If Eve doesn't have a child who is the great, 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 grandfather. And if Mary doesn't have a son, we're doomed. For some reason, God took his whole redemptive plan and wrapped it up in the womb of a woman. Labor. Multiplied multiplied. Secondly, there's gracious labor in marriage. All right. So you're fine to do this husband's wives. How many of you would say marriage can be hard? Raise your hand. Yes. Marriage can be hard work. It really can be hard work. And God says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. All right, so there was a world order before the fall. Now there's a new world order after the fall. The order before the fall and the world order after. Here's the order after. The serpent is subject to the woman. God says, your, your, uh, your day's coming, Satan. It'll come at the, at the hand of Eve. Um, the woman to the man and, the, and all to the Lord. Paul, again, reflecting on this in 1 Corinthians 11, says, Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man. Right? A woman can't have a baby unless a man helps in that process, nor man of woman. For as woman was made through man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Serpent is subject to the woman, the woman to the man, and all to the Lord. There's this new order that develops. So there's there's multiplied, multiplied labor in childbirth. There's labor in marriage. And then third, there's labor in work. Adam, you're going to till the ground and, and briars and thistles and thorns are going to come. Wendy worked yesterday. I was at home. I got out. Cool weather. The ground is a little bit soft. Got loads of weeds, right? I don't know how many of you work in weeds, but I have Johnson grass. Dr. Johnson, somewhere back when, introduced this. If he is in heaven, oh my. All I want to do is walk up to him and go, Why? The stuff is horrible. So I'm pulling it. I'm just pulling weeds all morning. Wendy texts me and says, what are you doing? What are you up to? I says, I'm pulling weeds, dot, 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 and cursing Adam and Eve. 
Why? Because it's their fault. It is right here. All right, so where's grace in this, guys? Where's grace? There's grace that Eve will still get to have children. There's grace that Adam and Eve will still get to be married. And there is grace that the ground, even though there will be thorns and thistles, will yield food. There's grace. It's gracious labor all the way around. You see, the best marriages tend to be the ones where they had to work the hardest. And there's something really good about a fresh tomato you worked hard to raise. And women who've had children tell me that the labor was worth it. That's what I hear every time. Every single time. So much so that you guys may know that we mentor, I mentor about 18 young pastors One of those yesterday, Jason Lefford, some of you know Jason, pastors a young church in Winston. Young couple, been believers for maybe around a year. She's pregnant. They've been married. She got pregnant on their honeymoon. Baby wasn't yet due. She became ill, had a stroke. When she did, got her to the hospital. When they did, did an emergency C-section, two-pound baby was born. Within two hours, she died. Jason called me and he said, how in the world do I do a funeral? But do you know the next thing he said to me? They're so grateful for that baby. Gracious, even in her death labor. Yeah. And the man then names Eve. Did you realize she wasn't named until now? He had had called her woman. He was called man. He called her woman, uh, meaning out of out of man. Somebody said he looked at her and went, whoa, man. But at any rate, he, he called her, he called her woman. That name had everything to do with companionship. Her new name has everything to do with motherhood. He names her mother of all living. Do you know what I find fascinating by that? Why didn't he name her mother of all dying? I mean, the curse is that every child she has is going to die. And so will Adam and Eve. And why didn't he do that? There's grace in his name for her. What grace is there in Adam's response? When he could have crushed her, he crowned her. When he could have destroyed her, he delighted in her. Men, take note. When he could have discouraged her, he encouraged her. When he could have ruined her, he rejoiced in her. Wow. Unreal. Adam named this woman. I'll call her. Uh, She's just blown it. She's been to the tree. She's eaten the fruit of which she should not have eaten. This 
imperfect Adam, the first one, scripture talks about the second one. We'll get to him in a moment, but this imperfect Adam uh, in his, all of his imperfection does not bow to the heat of the moment and to the frustration of the moment, but names his wife Eve, the mother of all living and, and crowns her instead of crushing her and delights in her instead of destroying her and encourages her instead of discouraging her and rejoices in her instead of ruining her. Oh, that we men could take a a note from his book, right? And then there follows a gracious death. Adam and Eve had tried to sow, you know, skirts of fig leaves and those things kind of wither and and they don't cover so well. So what does God do? He makes them skins. The only way God can make a covering of skin is to kill an animal. And so he kills an animal and he makes them a skirt. And it's such a gracious death. Why? Because it wasn't the animal's fault. It, it wasn't the animal's fault. This death was necessary though. Otherwise... Adam and Eve are about to be banished from the Garden of Eden. They've only known the Garden of Eden when they're banished from the Garden of Eden. And they then are sent out into the rest of the world. If they're not covered, they're not protected. And an animal had to die to do that. What happened? God, their creator, became God, their priest. Why? You get to the book of Leviticus. And in the book of Leviticus, the people are enslaved in Egypt, God's people. And as they are enslaved in Egypt, what does God do? He, he sends plagues in Pharaoh's heart. And, and between him and God, they harden his heart. And, uh, and so God says to his people, if you will do this, if you'll take a lamb uh, without blemish, a male lamb, take your best one, basically. Take its blood, kill it, smear its blood over the doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will do what church pass over, right? I'll pass over you. And so they do. And sure enough, uh, the death angel comes through and passes over and the firstborn in that family doesn't die. And then we get to the book of Leviticus. And when we get to the book of Leviticus, what happens there? The entire sacrificial system is laid out. We've got calves dying, goats dying. We've got uh, birds dying. We've got all sorts of animals dying. Why? For the sins of the people. Then we get to the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, they're wandering around through the wilderness and as they're wandering around in the wilderness, uh, they, they, they rebel against God. And when they rebel, what happens? God sends serpents through them and the serpents bite them. The snakes bite them and they cry out to God for deliverance. When they cry out to God for deliverance, he grabs a snake, uh, impels that snake on a pole and says, when you look to that snake that is now dead, when you look to that snake, you'll live. And then we get to the book of Deuteronomy. And at the book of Deuteronomy, they're camped out on the uh, east side of the Jordan River. And they're camped out there. And Moses gives some final speeches. And in his final speeches, what does Moses talk about? This is the covenant. This is the law. This is the sacrificial system. This is what you've got to do. And up until now, all the sacrifices have been for Israelites. They're for Jewish people. And just in case you think that only God became interested in non-Jewish people when, when uh, Jesus was born, no. There, 
Moses dies, Joshua's in charge, they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. But just across the Jordan River is a city. The city is called Jericho. Jericho is massive, so massive that its walls are so deep that you could get six chariots side by side by side on those walls. So they do what any good uh, uh, commander does, Joshua does. He sends reconnaissance in. And so he sends reconnaissance in and those uh, men go in and when they do, they find them themselves in the most unlikely place for God's men ever to be. And that's in Rahab's house, which is in the city wall. And Rahab is a prostitute. Not only is she a prostitute, she runs a brothel. So she is a woman of ill repute and God's men are in her house. And the king hears about it and he sends in his men to go capture them. And when he sends his men in to go capture them, Rachel lies, haven't seen him. Meanwhile, the men of God are hiding up on Rachel's roof. And so when the men are hiding up on Rachel's roof, uh, uh, Rachel lies, uh, Rahab lies, sends the men back, the king's men back another way, calls up to the roof, calls them down and says, this is what's happening. And then she makes this amazing statement of faith. I know you to be men of God. Everybody in Jericho is shuddering in fear because we've heard of what God did for you beyond the river. And if God would do that for you beyond the river, we know what you're about to do to our city. So when it happens, not if, when it happens, would you spare me and my family? And the men say the most unusual thing. Yeah, we will if you'll do this. If you'll take a rope, it's got to be a scarlet rope. It's got to be red. And if you'll take that red rope and if you'll hang it out your window until it hangs down on the city wall, when we come in and we fight the battle of Jericho, when we see the rope, listen, class, we're going to do what? Pass over you. (laughs) Pass over who? A prostitute of all people. We're going to pass over a prostitute. The the Passover that had just been initiated is now practiced by the people of God for a woman who runs a brothel to save her family. And you think that your sin is too much for him? You think that what you've done is too much for him? You think that your sin, your problems, your situation, your needs are way too big for God? God passed over a prostitute because the symbol of his blood was hanging out her window. Wow. Wow. It's a gracious death when God puts to death this animal. But then he drives them out. It's the language of divorce and dispossession. If you go read the book of Exodus, the climax of Exodus is not the Exodus. It's the building of the tabernacle at the end of the book. Why? Do you know what God's people wanted more than anything? To be in his presence. Has it ever occurred to you that Adam and Eve lived the rest of their life longing for the Garden of Eden? It was never that good again. Has it ever occurred to you that for the rest of their lives they reflected on the garden? 
on daily walks with God in the cool of the day. So what does God do? They build a tabernacle. In the tabernacle, it's just a tent. In the tabernacle, there's a place called the Holy of Holies. And behind the Holy of Holies, there would be an Ark of the Covenant. And on the Ark, the Shekinah glory of God would go. And out of all those million-plus people, only one man could go in. He's called the high priest. And he could only do that once a year. We go from daily to annually. We go from Adam and Eve to one man. Could I say something to you that maybe you didn't realize before you walked in here today? You're working 60, 70 hours this week. Could be because in your heart is a deep longing for the Garden of Eden. Could I say that your midnight maneuver through the images on the screen hoping that somehow this will satisfy some addictive need in your body is your longing for the Garden of Eden. You so desperately want to be in in His presence and you so and I use this with all respect ignorantly substitute counterfeits to his presence. So what happened? Matthew 27, Jesus is hanging on the cross. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple, that's that holy of holies, was torn into us nine inches thick from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. What? When Jesus died, he tore the curtain down and said, what? Come in. When is the last time you thank God that you live on this side of the cross? On this side of the torn curtain. The writer of Hebrews reflects on that moment right there in Hebrews 9, 11 through 14 says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, parentheses, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. Thus secure in an eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. I love this phrase. Every time I see it in scripture, I just want to kind of jump up and down and have a Holy Ghost fit. How much more? Like if that worked then in the Old Testament, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amen, church? How much more, how much more will the blood of Christ purify your conscience so that you can come in here and sing you're a good, good father and know that you don't sing it as someone who has earned the right to stand here and sing it, but you sing it because once and for all, Christ died on the cross for your sins, securing your entrance into the very presence of God. How much more?
How much more than all those sacrifices and all the blood that flowed through the temple is there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. How much church? All. Oh, how much more? Two kinds of people. There are those of you who know Christ, but for some reason, you've gotten the idea that your marriage is ultimate. That your career will satisfy that some more money in the bank, it'll get you there. A position in government, leadership, power. A new possession. Maybe some pleasure. And then there are, you, there are those of you in here, you do not know Christ. And you have substituted all your life. little pieces of heaven on earth because it's all the heaven you will experience unless you trust Christ as your Savior.